throw in the oven. They had absolutely no fear. And, and I love when Nebuchadnezzar said to them, well, is your God going to save you now? And they said, I don't know. If he does or he doesn't, that's his call, but he's still God, which really made Nebuchadnezzar happy. Um, and then you have the story of David. You know, here's this little kid. The entire Israel, Israel army is shaking in fear because of this brute. And he looks and says, what are you guys scared of? This guy needs to be taken care of. And he, he uses the examples when he's growing up. I killed a bear. I killed a lion. God helped me do those things. And God will help me take care of this problem. So when you approach a problem connected to God and without fear, you're far better off. And again, we're just told not to fear. Now, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Here's this guy freaked out, scared, you know, hiding in his wine press, threshing wheat, and he's being called mighty warrior. Now, God knew that Gideon would prevail because he would have to get him to the right point. And the way he did that, he said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Median's hand. Am I not sending you? So we all know the story, you know, um, Gideon tries to get 32,000 soldiers. He starts with 32,000, and God keeps whittling them down until he's down to a measly 300. These 300 win. Not, not a great union speaking with one voice. 300 guys win. Now, how do unions work? You know, how, how, do, how does it really operate? If you think of now, you, you know how God's law is. You know what we're supposed to do under God's law. Unions form in a group to wage war on their employer. What they do is they say, if we don't get the wages we want, the benefits we want, the holiday schedule we want, the working conditions we want, we will strike. We will hurt you. And if you don't agree with us, we will stay out as long as we can until we bring you to your knees and you give us what we want. In fact, we even see public service unions. You have teachers unions, firefighter unions, um, Police unions, they're not, you know, um, many of which are not allowed to strike. It's illegal for them to strike. Well, if a police union gets upset, they have a thing called the blue flu, which means they all call in sick. And here's a city without police protection because they didn't get what they wanted from their employer. Um, I, always, I always marvel about the teachers union. I, they'll be out there striking and, you know, pounding the pavement, shaking their fists. And they say, why are you here? Because we love the kids. <laughs> you love the kids? And why aren't you in the classroom? Um, so, and, and then somebody who, a lot of times the employers will hire people to do the work of the union members while they're out. Those are called scabs, and they hate those people, and they, they're, they're very vicious to them. And it's just, it's just inconsistent with the way God's law works. Now, yeah, that's the uh, slide on the strikes, is that's the power of the union. What, what can you do to the employer to make them come to their knees? You strike. Well, there's a couple people that um, we're looking at in, in our sermon today as Charlene Harwood, a Seventh-day Adventist, and Robert Rosner, a Roman Catholic. They both believe it is God's will that they not join or financially support a labor union, rightfully so, in reading the Bible. They both had big trouble in their approach. The reason is they're part of unions that said, you must be part of our union in order to do this job. So they're really caught between a rock and a hard spot. Both of these individuals went through long and laborious legal battles to get you know, to where they didn't have to comply with the union requirements. 
Now, labor unions and the Christian, how do we make all this work together? And it is really a tough situation because if you're a Christian, you have these beliefs and you want to do a certain form of work that requires you to be a union, it's very difficult. Get back to God's law. 32,300. He took him all the way down, so it, it is exactly wrong. And how did he do it? How did Gideon do it? He went in God's strength, the strength of God. God's words to Gideon reveal global view about righting wrongs. Go in the strength you have. Am I not sending you? So, you know, we, we could look to also to the New Testament as to how God handles these situations and what, what God's approach to it is. And if you look at Galatians 3, 23 and 24, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is a Lord Christ you are serving. So that kind of takes a different view of it, doesn't it? Then um, at one point, some soldiers, some Roman soldiers asked Jesus what they should do. Jesus told them, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Again, it's a completely different approach. And again, Christianity is always a different view of the world than what the world will dictate to you. In Matthew 22, 37 through 40, Famous verses we always know. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law of the prophets hang on these two commandments. So how how does it all work then, being part of a union? Another problem about becoming part of a union is a thing called the collective bargaining agreement. Collective bargaining agreement is a contract between the union and the employer. It covers all the members of the union. Now, in title, the way we have religious liberty in work today is, is an extension of the Constitution through a thing called the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Civil Rights Act of 1964 was really uh, the result of the labors of Martin Luther King and, and, the, and the freedom fighters at that time who came to the point where they had the Civil Rights Act signed by President Johnson in 1964. Title VII of the Civil Rights Act provides for religious freedom. Now this next slide um, is is incredible. The conference really is concerned about this case called Payett versus Pennsylvania. Now, Payett versus Pennsylvania, this is an excerpt from the collective bargaining agreement, and I could see the lawyer drafting it um, in, in great lawyerese. So if you're a member of the union, This is what it says, and only lawyers could appreciate this, but there shall be no discrimination against any present or future employee by reason of race, creed, color, age, disability, national origin, sex, union membership, or any characteristic protected by law, including but not limited to, you'll always see lawyers use that language. That means if I forgot it, it's included. Um, Included, and there's a big fight when when I first started practicing law. There's a big fight because people used to say including but not necessarily limited to, and there's this big argument about the word necessarily, so now we take that out. But, um, claims made pursuant to Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, the Americans with Disabilities Act, the Age Discriminate Employment Act, the New York State Human Rights Law, the New York City Human Rights Code, New Jersey Law Against Discrimination, New Jersey Conscientious Employee Protection Act, Connecticut Fair Employee Practice Act, or any other similar laws, rules, regulations. What it means is, if you get in trouble because of your religion at work, you're dead. You know, they'll go, aha, look at this. Now, 
What did, what did Mrs. White say about it? She said, how can men obey Jesus' words to love our neighbors at the same time pledge themselves to support that which deprives their neighbors of freedom of action? That's from letter, letter 26 of 1903. Again, she was talking about unions. And, and this was back you know, when unions were probably more necessary than they are today. You know, unions create problems for the employer in the long term, too. Now, I know, I mean, I, I've, I've seen this situation from both sides. It's difficult to be an employee, and it's difficult to be in management. I mean, both, and neither feel each other's pain. And, you know, I'll give you a perfect example of what's happened in America. In, before the fall of General Motors, $1,700 had to be built into every vehicle to cover wages, union benefits, and salaries. Toyota, 300 so why do you think Toyota is dominating General Motors? You, you can't build the, the same kind of product when you have to have that kind of overhead. Now, as I was re researching this sermon, and I was getting ready for this sermon, we have a thing in California required of lawyers called mandatory continuing legal education. And I'm in mandatory continuing legal education group one. And my, we have to report this here. And they give you three years to, go, to do all this mandatory continuing legal education. And like every good lawyer, I waited till like the last couple of months to get it covered. So I've been listening to these tapes, and it's kind of fascinating, and, and back to this political correctness. Every three years, every lawyer in the state of California has to devote one hour to addressing substance abuse. And I, this is great. So um, substance and um, alcohol abuse. If, you, if we have our lawyers in this state listen to a tape for one hour every three years, it'll fix it. Um, Another say, elimination of bias. We listen to one hour of that every three years. But as I was listening to these tapes, I came upon one that said, um, was talking about employment in the workplace and, and religious rights in the workplace. And it was a lawyer from an outfit called the Pacific Justice Institute. I was fascinated by these guys. Um, the, this guy goes, and it's a group of lawyers, and it's all volunteer. If you look at it, what they do, they do it free of charge. You contact them, you tell them you have a religious problem, and free of charge, they go to war for you. And these guys are real battlers, too. They're real scrappers. And what they found is a real unique way, I think, you know, the, the, conference, the conference sermon kind of takes the approach, look, you know, being in a union just doesn't really work, therefore, you know, you should try to avoid it. And you're rightfully to avoid it. Well, this outfit had a real good approach. They found a they found a provision in Title VII that says, if you don't agree with the union on religious basis or, or significant political basis, your dues can go to a charity. And they let the employer pick the charity. Well, when they had this one guy that was represented by the Pacific Law Institute, and uh, he had a real problem with the leftist nature of his union. So they said, okay, you could, you could contribute to one of these three charities gay and lesbian rights organization, um, Planned Parenthood, and the third one was just as bad. So he went to the Pacific Justice Institute, and the Pacific Justice Institute said, that doesn't work, you're, you know, you're doing the same thing. So they were able to come to a compromise where he's giving it to a church organization. So what that says is, this person, just because he's got religious beliefs, doesn't get out of paying union dues, but his union dues doesn't go to the union. Now, if you don't vote, 
you, you refrain from voting, then it seems to me that you could maintain your beliefs, not support these things, and still be part of a union. And I was really impressed with the Pacific Justice Institute's approach on that. There's a website if anybody is in that situation. Now, what we're really talking about here today, in, when you talk about unions, is what we talk about across the board. And what we're talking about across the board is we don't belong in the world. We can't mix with the world. And as Christians, we always say, we should try to get prayer back in school. And this country was better when, when we were all, when we had prayer in school and, and the Ten Commandments posted on the wall. Well, that, that's not necessarily true. First of all, this country was indeed founded by predominantly Christians, but they were all different forms of Christians. They had every different type of Christian belief, and they coexisted. And they came to the conclusion, the First Amendment, first line of the First Amendment, Congress shall make no law establishing, with regard to the establishment, or establishment of religion or, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Meaning, we are not in the religion business in the United States, we keep religion out of our government, and we, we don't bother people the way they practice. The best thing government could do for us is leave us alone. In fact, when we come here and worship, we don't need their oversight, we don't need their concern. No, and then when we go to school, we, we, we agree that we don't bring, you know, we don't pray there, and we don't do all that stuff. We live as Christians, but, and we live through example. But you cannot mix the two, it just doesn't work. And the thing that came strikingly clear to me before I got the sermon from the conference, I read a case, you know, getting ready for the sermon. And the case was called California Parents for the Equalization of Educational Materials versus Noonan. And it never brought it clearer to me than reading this case. What this case is about is California history textbooks for sixth graders. And I was fascinated by the process they go through. They get these textbooks, they, they get a draft of it, then they open it up to the public for comment. Then they have public comment, and during the public comment period, a group of Hindus were outraged. But in a sixth grade history book, these Hindus were outraged at its reference to Hinduism. So, as good California politically correct people, they formed a committee. And this committee then was formed of a professor, uh, scholars from UCLA, at least they went to the smartest college they could, um, Cal, Stanford, and Harvard. And these scholars we sat down and, and they read it. Now, anybody who's had the opportunity to hire any form of consultant or expert, they can't just say it's okay or they're not really worth their money, so they gotta find something. So they, they, did, they did some tweaking to the language. And again, we're talking about a sixth grade textbook for crying out loud. They tweaked the language a little bit. They sent it back. They presented it again to the public. The Hindus were upset again. So they said, okay, send it back to the committee. The committee reviewed it, didn't, said their, their concerns are invalid. This is an appropriate way to refer to Hinduism. Sent it back, published the book. The Hindu group sued. And they were upset. And here was their argument. More specifically, California Parents for Equal Education Materials request partial summary judgment that's a political procedure, I mean a, a civil procedure issue I'm not going to get into, an establishment cause claim based on defendants' alleged express intent to model portions of the subject history books after the New Testament. They were being accused of making this test book be favorable to Christianity and unfavorable to Hinduism. It, it is absurd beyond belief, when, and again we're talking about a sixth grade textbook, 
Now, what that gives you a glimpse of is when, now imagine a prayer in school. Imagine a prayer in school if you said, can I pray to Jesus? Oh, no, what are the Hindus going to say? Um, can I, can I uh, acknowledge the, the validity of the Sabbath? Oh, no, 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 what are the, what are the Sunday observing Christians going to say? You don't want to mix those things, and this is what you get. You'll have court case after court case after court case of upset groups. What you do in the school, in the public schools, is you live like a Christian. You act like a Christian. You speak to people. But as far as from the front of the class and the instruction from there, leave it out because it's going to be a mess, and you'll be just like that case we just read. Now, the reason, you know, the best... Here's a great quote from Jefferson. Government that governs best governs least. And that, is, that couldn't be more true. Leave us alone. You know, stop trying to run everything in our life. Why is everybody thrilled that Scott Brown was elected as senator from Massachusetts this week? Because the government's back to gridlock. Thank God. You know, if, if they can't pass stuff to, run, to ruin your life, then we're better off. I, I mean, I like it when it's half and half because they can't do anything then. And, and, and we're better off that way. And the one thing you always got to keep in mind in the verse that Karen read in the beginning, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. We're not going to be able to put his kingdom into our schools. We're not going to be able to put his kingdom in, into the government. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest, but now my kingdom is from another place. The Adventist church has traditionally been a very strict separationist, separationist meaning we believe that we should be left completely free to worship God on the Sabbath as we choose, and we don't believe that it should be in school. And there's good reasons for it, and I've, I've just given you a few. So as we go on, you got to figure out how do we do it, and it was what I already told you about in the, in the offering call. Support Liberty Magazine, which brings important issues of religious liberty before the thought leaders. Use your voice and your vote to protect individual freedom. And Liberty Magazine is fantastic because they send it to the, to the thought leaders, like they say they send it to judges and politicians and everybody else. And I'm sure once they flip through the pages, they go, wow, that constitution, that is important, isn't it? Um, <laughs> now, I'm amazed. I was just talking to Josh recently, and I thought, you know, this is the one time in your legal careers when you're in school that you even read the Constitution. And, and it's the, it forms the basis of all our law and it, it, it's our freedom. So I, I just wish people would focus more on it. And as you leave today, remember, go in the strength you have. Am I not sending you? It is God that we get our power, God that we get our freedom. And look there first, and you're not going to get it by groups such as union. So let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the Sabbath day. Thank you for the freedoms you give us in this country. Thank you for the opportunities to be great, great examples of your word. Lord, help us to always fight to protect our freedoms so that we could speak your word freely. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.